You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This is the Christian Humanist Podcast, a weekly discussion of theology, philosophy, literature, art, and other things that human beings do well. And now your hosts, David Grubbs, Nathan Gilmore, and Michael Fong. So the same Thanks for downloading another episode of the Christian Humanist Podcast. My name is Nathan Gilmore, and I'm coming at you from Emmanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. I'm joined online today by Dr. David Grubbs. He's an assistant professor of English at Houston Baptist University. How are things, David? Pretty well, sir. How are things with you? Doing pretty well, doing pretty well. Uh, Also on the line today, uh, coming at you from the Great White North, St. Bonifacius, Minnesota. It is Dr. Michael Farmer. Michael, how are things? They're good. Nathan? Well, right on. Well, uh, what sorts of things are going on around the Christian Humanist Radio Network here lately? I know that uh, I am in the middle of listening to Ed Song and Coyle Neal talk about the alt-right. Uh, and once again, the real joy is Coyle basically playing rope-a-dope for a, a solid hour <laughs> as Ed Song flails at him. I, I, I'm, I'm a sadist for enjoying that, but I really do. Ed, Ed is, uh, just has not listened to as much right-wing talk radio as Coyle, so he doesn't, he, he doesn't, he doesn't know the tropes. Well, and I don't think he's, I, I don't think he's the sadist that Coyle is either. Um, I, I, re- I really, really like the way that they play off of each other though it's um it's fun yeah but i mean I, I and maybe you guys don't watch as much boxing as i do but i mean i i can't help but think of uh foreman ali whenever they start to go at it i mean coil just kind of lets himself drop back into the ropes and ed just keeps swinging and swinging and swinging and <laughs> i mean it is it, it's good radio i'll put it that way indeed is this episode shaping up good? Um, I, I It was next in my queue. Oh, yeah. It's really quite enjoyable to listen to. But we do have other podcasts. Uh, who else has been doing some episodes here recently, guys? Well, and we should we should mention that this semester we're recording more than a week before the episode comes out. So if we sound behind, that's why. Because who knows what will have come out in the intervening week. That's true. That's true. Well, I, I just listened to uh, the Dumbo episode, Michael, a few oh. days ago, and that was uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it. You, you guys have got a cool cool thing going over there. Well, thank you. That's uh, that's uh, b- uh, before they were live, which features my uh, my lovely wife this month. Yes, indeed, that was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Well, at any rate, uh, again, as Michael just noted, we are recording eight days in the past, so who knows whether people will still be talking about it, but at least on Monday morning, October 9th, 2017, uh, because 
a certain vice president of a certain United States made a certain <laughs> jerk of himself by upstaging Peyton freaking Manning in freaking Indianapolis. Uh, we are still talking about patriotic songs. Uh, as listeners may remember from long time ago, eight days, uh, there's been some hubbub in social media and the news about what it means to pay respect during such songs. So I figured we'd have a conversation about uh, some of these songs uh, culminating with the national anthem, but starting with some others that have taken a certain place in the American culture. So rather than start with a historical survey, which I know we're fully capable of doing, uh, Michael, I want you to start just with some broad outlines so that we can complicate the discussion as we examine a brief series of these songs. So without getting too detailed, how can we tell if a song is a patriotic one? And what are some of the functions that such songs play in American life in particular? Well, I mean, if we're talking about patriotic hymns, which I think we, we largely are, uh, there's a really easy way to figure out which ones are patriotic, which is that most hymnals have a section for the patriotic hymns, uh, usually somewhere toward the back. And I think I probably told this story years ago in our God and Country episode, but the church I grew up in had a patriotic section in our hymnal. And uh, our hymnal was one of those that has Bible verses for each hymn. And for the Star Spangled Banner, it had, It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. <laughs> that is phenomenal. Oh, no. Yeah, that is uh, that's deeply blasphemous, I would say. <laughs> Idolatrous at the very least. Uh, so that's one way to look. And I think most hymnals probably have the, uh, the classics, the Star Spangled Banner, America the Beautiful, maybe God Bless America, although that was not in the one I grew up in, the, uh, the, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, uh, songs like that, songs that, that explicitly invoke God in order to praise or warn or admonish the United States of America. I don't know the answer to this question, but I, I, I don't know, I wonder how many other countries have songs like this, the degree to which it's an American phenomenon. Certainly, the British have God Save the Queen, God Save the King, depending on, uh, depending on what sort of monarch is in power at the time. But uh, I, I would be very interested in knowing whether uh, hymnals in France, for example, have, uh, have the, the French national anthem, whose name I can no longer remember the marseillaise the marseillaise yeah you you wonder um because in some cases these are songs with a religious veneer and in some cases like the star spangled banner there's really very little that's religious about them and and they're mm -hmm. just in there yeah. because these are uh I, well i don't know why they're in there to be perfectly honest with you i don't go to church anymore on uh july 4th or around it i don't go uh, the day before Memorial Day, because I know we're going to have to sing patriotic songs, and I know it's going to make me itchy. <laughs> um, apart from the function they play in the church, I don't think they really play that much of a function in American life, except at sporting events. And maybe your graduation, do you guys, do you guys sing the Star Spangled Banner at your graduation? At Emmanuel College, we do, and I think it's very weird. Uh, yeah, we do too, and I also think it's weird. Um, and I, I normally don't salute the flag or anything like that, but rather than cause offense to all the people at the graduation, I just put my hand on my heart for that one. You know, some some things aren't worth fighting about, uh, in my opinion. We'll get to that later. Although I might have a different <laughs> I might have a different uh, statement about that than I do now. David, did they sing the national anthem at your graduation? 
No, it's just the uh, school hymn and uh, the the alma mater. We don't have a school hymn. We have crown him with many crowns. I guess that's our that's our school well, hymn. Our, our 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 school hymn is Onward Christian Soldiers, so I guess that kind of counts. That's yeah, that's a weird one, isn't it? Like that's that's using nationalist language to talk about Christianity rather than using Christian language to talk about nationalism. I'm not sure which one's worse. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, I mean, you know, yeah, re- referring to uh, that talk talking about Christianity in terms of soldiery is not a it's not an American invention. No, of course not. I mean, that, that's all the way back in the Bible. You get you get Saint Paul talking about uh, the the breastplate of righteousness, and that's I mean, all that all that stuff is is military language. Yeah. So I I certainly you know I don't I don't love onward Christian soldiers, but it it is not offensive to me the way singing the national anthem in a church service is offensive to me. <laughs> um, yeah. Alan I'll Jacobs. Go ahead, Alan Jacobs pointed out um, in you know one of the many tweet up kerfluffles about about the uh, the national anthem recently. He points out that why why are we even singing this at sporting events? Uh, there's no other cultural institution. Uh, that that begins with a playing of the national anthem. They don't play it at the opera. They don't play it at rock concerts. They don't play it at the beginning of your classes. It's really just some graduations and uh, and sporting events. And it's it's a weird combination. I mean, James K. Smith's been yelling about this for years. The degree to which the the uh, the American sporting event has become a militaristic phenomenon. You know the degree to which it's become about the military, and and I I believe I didn't bother to look this up, but I believe the the practice of making football players stand for the national anthem is is very new. It's less than ten years old. Uh, I'm going to dispute that because uh, when they started when that trope started going around on social media, uh, it might be that the NFL didn't start mandating it until 2009. That's always the year that gets bandied about. Uh, but if you go back to national anthems from Super Bowls, you can go back at least 15, 20 years and players are standing at attention. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I'm inclined to go with Jamie Smith that, I mean, it really has become just a liturgy that goes along with NFL football. Well, and I mean, the other thing to connect that with is when did the national anthem become first and foremost about the troops? Which is the other thing that gets tied into is I mean you hear this all the time to disrespect the national anthem is to disrespect the troops, which seems suspect to me. Whatever your feelings about the national anthem being played at sporting events are, um, I haven't researched this, Michael, but my my sense is that it probably goes back to the first Gulf War in 1990. Makes sense. I remember there's there's a very conscious national effort not to treat Iraq like Vietnam. Yeah, maybe we swung too far in the mm-hmm. other direction. Well, also the the our national anthem itself is a war story. It it's 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 right there in the lyrics, right? If That's if true. America the Beautiful was our national anthem with, you know, beautiful for spacious skies, amber waves of grain, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that'd be one thing. But we'd this have to one hear actually, about how, how disrespecting <laughs> have, the national anthems about disrespecting yeah. farmers. Yeah, well, you know, our national anthem has bombs <laughs> in the first verse. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I think it's probably not crazy that it has uh, military associations. That's a good point. Although, you know, our our national anthem is nothing compared to the French one. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. French one's got yeah, the blood I, of their I, enemies and. <laughs> right. I believe Coyle Neal, I, I don't even remember what the context was, but went into just how bloody the French na- national anthem is on one of the City of Man episodes. That is probably where I learned that. <laughs> the other place you hear the national anthem, and this is maybe the place that makes the most sense to hear it, is at the Olympics. When when a um, when a when an athlete wins wins a medal, they play the national anthem from that athlete's home country, and man, that makes sense, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's an explicitly international yeah. enterprise where the national anthem would seem to have a lot of place. Right, it I actually have, does some work. I have a theory, and you know, we we would have we would need the dates on this to see when when exactly did people start, you know, beginning baseball games and other athletic events this way but is it possible that having the national anthem at the beginning of the game helps establish that um, even in games that are, that represent big regional rivalries that everyone on both sides is still part of this same group and let's not let athletic fa- regional factionalism you know lose sight of the fact that we're all playing this game together as Americans. That makes sense. I, I don't I don't know that that's the, the motivation, but that that is a very charitable way of reading it. Well, you know, I try to be charitable. <laughs> what do they do, Nathan, when the Toronto Blue Jays are playing? Do they also play O Canada? Uh, in Toronto they do. I've been to a couple Toronto Blue Jays games in Toronto, and both both times they were playing, you know, American League teams from the United States. And in both of those cases, like I said, they played O Canada first and then the... Or no, it was the Star-Spangled Banner first and then O Canada. So, I mean, if the... And I'm trying to think, are there even two Canadian teams now in baseball? No, I was going to say, if, so. the, if, if the Blue Jays were against the Expos in the World Series, uh, first of all, we're in a bad Back to the Future sequel. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. My guess is they just play O Canada. I think that shows a lot of disrespect to this country. <laughs> it is our, our our baseball league. I, I assume you get something similar with the Toronto Raptors or the many, many uh, NHL franchises based in Canada. Maybe they don't play the national anthem before NHL games. I don't know. Oh, they do. They do. Yeah, because, I mean... Uh, and I mean, I, I really only watch hockey when my wife wants to, and it's always Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, there's always a national anthem at those games, so I assume they do O Canada when Toronto or Edmonton or I try to think who I some of the other Canadian franchises. My apologies, hockey fans are playing. Well, at any rate, David, I want to turn to some particular songs. Uh, so since one occasion for this episode is an anniversary, uh, talk a little bit about the battle hymn of the Republic. So when did John Brown's body stop moldering? (laughs) What kind of theology is getting blended together here? Mm -hmm. And can I blame all the times I've heard this one in Southern churches on the UGA fight song or is something else going on here? Uh, I think it's something else going on here because the UGA fight song is not actually the battle hymn of the Republic. Oh, it's the same melody, isn't it? Yeah, but but the lyrics are different. Well, uh, yeah, I mean the battle hymn doesn't say to hell with Georgia Tech, but exactly. I mean, <laughs> 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 I, 
<laughs> glory, glory to old Georgia, right? Is not 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 quite not quite the same. Um, if, if if anything, the Georgia fight song seems. Um, I I I have a hard time reading it as not a uh, southern nose thumbing at the battle hymn of the republic. Um, given where Georgia is in relation to the ship to the Mason Dixon line. Well, the, All right, so talk about the Battle Hymn itself then. Right. Um, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, well, first the, the anniversary of John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry uh, in 1859. So this, this episode will drop on the 17th, and so that would have been right around when this is happening it, it's spread out across more than one day so the, se- the 17th uh, is also the anniversary of julia ward howe's death oh really yeah the authoress of the better of the republic that i didn't know well the uh the raid on harper's ferry was john brown's attempt to uh basically to 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 spark a slave revolt and to arm it uh harper's ferry um was an arsenal of the army and uh john brown was attempting to break into the arsenal get the weapons and then arm slaves for a uh for an armed an an armed revolt against the slave owners in virginia uh, John Brown was an abolitionist. Uh, he had various backers. Uh, he he actually attempted to persuade Frederick Doug- Douglass to join in, um, as well as uh, Harriet Tubman. Um, neither of them participated. Um, it was uh, it was a bloody fight, um, and pretty much everyone who was with him either died or was captured and executed. Uh, including including John Brown. Um, initial responses to this were uh, that this was insane, this was crazy. Um, but at over over the course of the next year or so, John Brown came to be seen as a as a kind of martyr figure. And this is all this is all as we're headed towards the Civil War and the 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 notion that we that uh abolition that slavery could be dealt with by some kind of peaceful political process uh was becoming uh from in the minds of abolitionists a less and less possible thing and so as that uh, as uh, as that feeling grows the the sense of john brown as a not a fanatic but as a prophet uh, begins to grow um 1861 uh, a these uh, soldiers of North have a marching song that they that they've set to a, uh, a kind of a gospel song. And John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave, but his soul goes marching on. All right, and it's the tune to the of the battle hymn of the Republic. Um, so the idea in that song is, you know, even though John Brown is dead, uh, his cause lives on, and we are. Uh, we are sort of marching in his footsteps, um, continuing his his fight. Uh, Julia Ward Howe, who wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic, uh, published it uh, in 1862 in the Atlantic. 
her husband, Samuel Howe, was actually one of the backers of John Brown's uh, uh, raid on Harper's, the, the, the arsenal at Harper's Ferry. So her, her hymn definitely picks up this, this uh, sense of, uh, of prophecy um, by directly, directly invoking Isaiah 63. Mine eyes have seen the coming, uh, I've seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. And uh, Isaiah 63, who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra, who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your gar apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anchor and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. So in Isaiah 63, God is literally marching on... Uh, m marching from Edom, having destroyed uh, the region of Edom for um, for its sins, uh, God has tread down uh, the wicked as grapes in a press, and so is all dyed red with blood. Um, that imagery is is what uh, is being pulled on in the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and being invoked specifically for the abolitionist cause. So while this is a, um, a a patriotic hymn in some sense, it was called the Battle Hymn of the Republic when she wrote it. Uh, it's the it's uh, it, it reads to me more as the Battle Hymn of a cause than a Battle Hymn of a nation. As for what Except happened, I suspect they saw the cause as the nation. Do you know what I mean? I mean. Right. The, the the Union soldiers, to the degree they're fighting for anything, are probably mm -hmm. fighting to preserve the Union rather than to get rid of slavery, for the most part. Well, uh, the 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 hymn does not frame it that way. Is 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 right, my point? Right, right. The 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 famous couplet: "As he died to make men holy, so we live to make men free." Well, as she wrote it, is as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. Ah, okay. So right. I'm I'm only familiar with the revised version then. Yeah, the updated cheerful not wartime version. <laughs> Still not terribly cheerful, but well, I mean but you yeah. begin with an image of the apocalypse for crying out loud. Yes. Yeah. I mean the 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 I mean to to me the battle hymn of the republic like John Brown says there are some things bigger than the peace of this republic. This is this is one that I almost wouldn't mind hearing in church. Mm -hmm. This this seems more like a hymn than a patriotic song to me. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's I mean it's curious to me, and uh, I don't know if it was the fact that you know we were in the middle of the build up to the Iraq War or what, but I mean I really never heard this one much in church until I moved to Georgia in two thousand two, hmm. and then it seemed like it was every. Fourth of July, every Memorial Day, every Veterans Day, you know, the several weeks leading up to 
again, George W. Bush's invasion of Iraq. Mm-hmm. We were just wearing the sucker out. I grew up singing this in church. Okay, so it is a southern thing then. I don't remember ever singing it. Um, I admit, I, I, I guess you know my mileage varies. You know, dear dear listeners, <laughs> what's your experience with this? Um, but I, you know, my my experience was that this was one of the songs that we sang on patriotic Sundays. Um, which still strikes me as odd because I mean this is you know General Sherman's song, is it not? <laughs> it. It is, but I don't think uh, if if anybody in my church ever resented the battle hymn of the Republic because Alabama was on the losing side of the Civil War, nobody ever mentioned it. I don't. Okay, I don't enough. think you're taking stock of the weird ambivalence that that conservative Southerners have towards these matters. I, I one one interesting thing about the last three months has been the way that ambivalence has been stirred up. So on the one hand, many Southerners uh, fight really hard to preserve the statues of their Confederate generals. Mm -hmm. And many of those same Southerners also demand respect for the American flag. And, and I think standing on the outside as, as you do, I know Nathan, and as I do to some extent, and David, I, I suspect you do, but you're more, politically conservative than the two of us so mm-hmm. I don't want to speak for you um, I, I we can see the weirdness there the the tension if not the contradiction I, I don't know that they experience that as an ambivalence I think mm-hmm. I think we recognize it as ambivalence and they largely don't see a contradiction the people who support both Robert E. Lee and the American flag mm-hmm. I mean one is a kind of regional slash familial pietas that isn't that doesn't have a lot to do with current political the current political discourse um, or or, or political positions Um, the vast majority of southerners who support those statues don't do so because they want the south to secede they don't do so because they support slavery. I would mm-hmm. say, at least consciously, they don't do so out of racism. It's, it, it's as you say, it's something familial. That's that's why mm-hmm. it's that's because why it's, it's great so great sore. great grandpa. His name is on one of those monuments. Right, right, not not to discount that some people are secessionists, some people are racist. Yeah. God knows, some people mm-hmm. probably even want to reinstate slavery. But I think your average Southerner on the street doesn't mm-hmm. really think of him or herself in those terms. I think mm-hmm. I think it's more these are our people, and also the United States are our people, and the the same the same piety is at play in both of those impulses. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make that doesn't make the critical thinking of does. Uh, does the Confederate South? Uh, do I owe? Do I owe that that time and place the level of pietas that they traditionally hold? Absolutely, it doesn't mean they can't uh, be among criticized. my people in my region. Um, but at the same time, I I, I, do, I do think you're, you're you're right, Michael, that it's it's important to make a distinction there, so that I I, I never heard anyone say. 
um, we shouldn't be singing the battle hymn of the Republic. And yet, um, you know, I knew guys with, you know, Confederate battle flag stickers on their trucks that would sing this in church. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. And, I, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know why you just brought this to my mind, David, but I, it just occurred to me that, you know, something Howard Dean said in 2004 when he was in the Democrat primaries mm-hmm. would get him just absolutely eviscerated on social media. He said that, you know, to win national elections, the Democrats have to be the party of guys in pickup trucks with Confederate flag stickers on the bumper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I, I, that just now occurred to me that he said that, and I'm like, wow, that would not fly in 2017. Which yeah. is why I think the Democrats are going to have trouble winning national elections for a while. Well, until they in, 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 is, uh, until you recognize that people's sense of cultural and familial loyalties are always weirdly complicated, if you insist that they somehow lined up with the way you've got ideologies falling out right now, um, you're not going to be treating other humans as humans. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's fair. David, mm-hmm. since you and I are the native Southerners on this podcast, mm-hmm. I'll ask you and not Nathan, do you feel any kind of piety toward the Confederacy? It's not... Um, I don't feel patriotism so much as uh, the 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 sense of the sense of tragedy, looking at um, you know just kind of reading about the culture of the antebellum South, um, reading you know letters from you know letters from soldiers that include their ideas about what's going on. Um, you know all those kinds of things. It's 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 all deeply, deeply tragic to me. Yeah. And one of the, I th- I think that I can say, yeah, the Confederacy deserved to lose, not because it was on the wrong side of history, because but because it was on the wrong side of morality. And slavery needed to end. It should have ended sooner. It had to end. But me saying those things doesn't doesn't detract from the tragedy of of the people who who fought and died for that wrong cause. That that's still tragic. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say, and yay, my ancestors, you know, got you know, killed by Sherman or whoever. You know you know dirty you know dirty dogs deserved it um, right yeah I, I don't know if that's coherent but I, I feel like sometimes in our in our current politi- political sort of situation anything less than consigning the Confederacy and all Confederate Confederate soldiers you know to the deepest pit um, is anything less than that is considered you know, waffling, and you're probably secretly, you know, uh, you know, secretly in in sympathy with their political aims. But I, I, I see, a, I feel a distinction there that's hard to articulate. Because yeah, the, in the some argument sense, I made. They're my people. 
<laughs> the, the argument I made on Twitter a few months ago, I did a tweet storm, was that these people did have real virtues. Like, like there, there are mm-hmm. things worth emulating about Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. Maybe not mm-hmm. as much as as some Confederate apologist would want there to be, but that in erecting these statues, which statues by their very nature are un- uncomplicated, you you actually do them a disservice. It, it's harder to recognize their real virtues when you set them up as uncomplicated heroes, and that's not even that's not even to take into account all the uh, the nasty history of the monuments themselves. Right, right. But it, it it seems as if they cannot be treated as uncomplicated heroes or uncomplicated villains in order to do them justice. I'm sorry, Nathan, we've hijacked your show. That's all right. That's all right. Um, and I mean, if I need to audible here in a little bit, I can. But uh, I do want to put this into conversation with some other kinds of patriotic songs. And Michael, I mean, despite eight years of you reminding me of how old I am, I know that we're roughly the same age, so I know that you remember September 2001 when God Bless America, Irving Berlin's contribution to the George W. Bush years became ubiquitous in American civic life. So here we've got some God and we've got some America and even a blessing because I can read song titles. But something very different is happening here between God and country. So talk a little bit about God Bless America. Well, first of all, I remember 9-11. I do not remember that song taking off in popularity. So uh, I, I did not have a television at the time. Uh, so maybe that's, maybe that's why. But I, I was not aware that, uh, that it became a, a popular song again. Um, the song is written... Initially in 1918, as the United States uh, Army gets sent off to World War I. Uh, and you, you see that in the uh, initial first verse. While the storm clouds gather far across the sea, let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. Let us all be grateful for a land so fair as we raise our voices in a solemn prayer. And you don't, you don't really get that, um, that verse very often when it's sung because Berlin... Um, uh, did I mention Irving Berlin of White Christmas fame wrote this? Uh, Irving Berlin revised it for World War II, and that's that's the version we know more. To me, the song is most famous for being so saccharine and ridiculous that it it pushed Woody Guthrie to write the far superior "This Land Is Your Land." Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but even so, God is really kind of tacked on to to this to this song as you would expect from a uh, from a song written by uh, from my understanding Irving Berlin was a secular Jew he he was not particularly religious and so this is not a hymn uh, the song is much more about America than it is about God God bless America land that I love stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above from the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam God bless America my home sweet home so I mean, God's there, but this state this this song makes no meaningful statement about God. Uh, the the statement is entirely about about what America is and has this vague hope that it will be led in the right direction. Is that what you had in mind, Nathan? Well, I mean, the grammar of the song, though, and I always forget this uh, because 
you know, it's, it's sung. It's not really printed usually when I encounter it, but I mean, the grammar of it is a prayer. It's a blessing, right? Uh, it's not a declarative. It's an imperative. Yes, that's true. So, I mean, I, you know, there's at least a, a dramatic relationship with God, even if there is no doctrinal content per se. Well, that's all right. I mean, we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this one because we do have a couple other songs I want to talk about. David, is there anything you would want to add about God Bless America before we move on? Not really. I think Michael covered it well. All right, fair enough. Uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and, I mean, relate anecdotally that uh, in the aftermath of the September 11 attacks, there was a New York City police officer who recorded really, I mean, quite a nicely performed version of this song mm-hmm. uh, that became just a staple at baseball games, football games, so on and so forth for several years to come. So that's why this one came to mind. But David, I want to turn to a song that, as far as I can tell, has even less reference to God than God Bless America, but which stirs up something like religious devotion, uh, a song that's had more lives in its 33 years than Betsy Ross's Cat, it is Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA. So what does this Reagan-era song's career do to complicate what we mean by patriotic song? <laughs> uh, the, the story, and this is, this is kind of interesting, I did a Google, just, just kind of a search for um, origin of God Bless the USA, and I found uh, an article from 93... I found one from 2013, and then I found one from 2016. Um, you're all kind of in your heads doing the doing the chronology on that. Um, it comes out in uh, he first performs it in in 83, I believe it is, uh, and really takes off in 84, 85. Um, becomes a you know becomes a significant hit um but especially popular during uh the Gulf the Gulf War in uh 91 uh interesting thing though according to uh this this article back from 93 it says something that some of the other material didn't say which was that uh, the song was written in 83 following the downing of a Korean airliner by the Soviet Union. Right. Well, that's so, interesting. It wouldn't seem to have much to do with us at all. Well, it almost did because uh, it was in the U.S. It was taken as a uh, as a provocation. Right. They shoot down. They shoot down a South Korean airliner. Uh, a, a Soviet. A Soviet jet shoots down an airliner full of civilians, including 63 Americans, including a congressman. Mm. Right. Um, so, you know that that's you know that's the story as he told it in in uh, in this uh, this this '93 article. So um, definitely coming out of the Cold War, but then it gets pulled into um, the. Uh, Desert Storm in the early 90s and then pulled out again um, with the second Iraq War. So it just kind of like every, every time we go to war, it kind of comes out again. Lee, Lee Greenwood does another tour. Um, uh, <laughs> he's collected... W- well, I mean, you know, he, he's done USO tours, 
right? Um, there's all of these pictures of, of Lee Greenwood at different ages wearing American flag jackets. You know. Um, Which you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was looking see. for images for the uh, the episode uh, album art, and uh, I, I came very close to using a pair of American flag-themed cowboy boots. Mm, yeah. The, the, the lyrics themselves are interesting. Um, it starts off as a, as a thought experiment that if I lost everything and had to start again, I would be glad that I lived here in America. Um, which, okay. Um, I, I'm, because it le- because here, at least I know I'm free. I love the uh, the passive aggression of that line. Yeah. At least I know I'm free. Mm-hmm. I, you, Unlike you some it. of these other countries, who's yeah. who, who go unspoken. Well, I mean, consider uh, you know if you consider the 1983 the the story the story that he's that he tells of, of the event in 1983, he's thinking especially of the Soviet Union. Sure, which was not free. No. <laughs> which was which was not free. Um, and then by extension, the rest of of because uh, uh, it, it was a South Korean airliner. You know, he might have been thinking of all the rest of that kind of Soviet communist bloc um, in Southeast Asia. I don't I don't know if that's necessarily all that he has in mind, but but definitely he has um, he has the 1980s discourse of what life is like behind the Iron Curtain um, in his head. And that's, you know, in, in this imagined scenario in which blue-collar Joe Everyman American um, loses everything, at least he knows uh, he's not his equivalent behind the Iron Curtain. Um, it has the explicit reference to those who died to give the to give freedom to who gave that right to me, as the line goes. Um, which weirdly, um, maybe not weirdly, that 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 those two lines um, are the two lines that have like stuck in my head all my life because I've heard this all my life. Um, for, but for whatever reason, those those lines and then I'll gladly stand up next to you and Defender still today are kind of the musical climax of the song. Um, and I couldn't have told you, growing up, I couldn't have told you any other line in this whole thing <laughs> except for those. Well, and especially the uh, last time the chorus comes around with the grand pause just before next to you. Yes. I mean, it, it's a memorable moment. I mean, I you know... Mm-hmm. Um, Whatever else you have to say about this song, I mean, it, it knows how to build the tension. Mm-hmm. Did Lee Greenwood serve in the armed forces? Do we know? No, I don't think so. Huh. I don't think so. Um, nothing, nothing that I've seen would suggest that. Um, it's an but, I can sing of your love forever situation is it it's a rhetorical lyric yeah yes yes you know i mean it you know what were i to 
do so. You know, I, I, I gladly would, you know. But bone Hypothetically. Um, yeah, so really, God bless the USA is the only God in there is that one line. God bless the USA. Um, and then you have the Minnesota, Tennessee, Texas, Houston, New York, Detroit, L.A., city, state references. Oh, I don't remember that part. Minnesota's yeah. first. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills oh, of Tennessee, right. across the plains of Texas, yep. from sea Texas. to shining sea. Yep. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, we used to sing that in in uh, in my elementary school chorus class. Yeah. And I'm not proud of this, but my <laughs> friends and I used to sing a uh, rather gruesome verse about Iraq that we uh, of our own devising. Of course you did. Yeah, it was but the middle of the Gulf War. Of the of the John's brown body is moldering in the grape sort. Uh, I, I would say it was less principled than that. I'm not sure we knew that much about Iraq. Well, the 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 John's Brown body, uh, John's Brown's body is is moldering in the grave song. Um, the 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 classic version. Uh, oh, where is that line? Oh, one of the one of them is they will hang Jeff Davis in a tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But again. <laughs> I think that was more principled than our version, which ended uh, "blow up Iraq today." Oh, yeah, nice. That's that's not terribly. I was nine years old. Yeah, that's fair. Still not great. Um, but but yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it it seems to show up at Republican national conventions a lot. State fairs all over the all over the country. Yeah. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And de- definitely one of those um, uh, country music is patriotic music kind of songs. Yeah, and I mean, again, you know, whatever else you're going to say about it, it's a lot less crassly jingoistic than some of the George W. Bush era songs. Yeah, you know? that horrible Tony uh, Keith song. That is the one I had in mind. <laughs> no, nobody is breaking boots off in anybody's body parts. That's true. That's true. Or what's the the Charlie Daniels one? This ain't no rag; it's a flag. I don't wear it on my head. Rare, rarely do patriotic songs endorse <laughs> explicit racism. <laughs> well, I and gosh, I hate to be the one to defend Charlie Daniels or that song, but I mean, when I first had it, when I first heard that one. I immediately thought of the biker dude with the star-spangled banner bandana, not any kind of Middle Eastern head garb. Oh, you thought you thought Charlie Daniels was writing a song about flag etiquette? <laughs> I, I, I thought he might. I don't know. I mean, generally speaking, he doesn't seem to be of the devil's party. That is excellent. What, what, what would you guys want to add in here? This is uh, this is kind of a weird one for me, because um, it you know like you said it it just keeps coming back, um, and for whatever reason, at least my impression is it keeps coming back at like worse times. I don't know. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, it's a defensive sort of song. You know, I mean, it is. At least um, I know I'm free. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's that passive-aggressive tone that 
Michael was talking about, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you gripe about America, but at least you know you're free, you hippie. Love it or leave it. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think that, you know, built into the logic of the song is already that defensive posture. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, it's just sitting there waiting to be brought back every time, you know, anyone starts to say, well, maybe on a foreign policy discussion kind of level, we shouldn't be doing this. Well, at least you know you're free, commie. Well, and then, then people who are maybe not as free say, hey, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, Michael, I, I do want to get to the national anthem question. So now that we've talked about, you know, a few samples of patriotic songs, let's go back to the Star Spangled Banner. Um as we know, I mean, the social media universe has been obsessed, you know, to some extent since 2016, but I mean, especially in the last few weeks with professional athletes taking a knee rather than standing at attention while the Star Spangled Banner was playing. What is at stake here, and to what extent would people be right, or wrong for that matter, to call this outrage a species of idolatry? Okay, well, you know, it begins, I believe, because Colin Kaepernick is protesting police brutality, uh, which is a sore subject where I live, because Philando Castile is is obviously one of the uh, one of the deaths that that Kaepernick uh, was protesting. The protests start in the Obama era. It's not a protest of Trump, at least it doesn't begin as a protest of Trump. Um, And he takes a knee during the national anthem instead of standing at attention with his hand over his heart. To me, uh, as far as protests go, it is a fairly respectful protest. It's not uh, aggressive. It's not, I don't think it's particularly rude as far as protests go. I, I, it, it's difficult for me to think of a more respectful way to protest the national anthem than, than taking a knee during it. Um, I, 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 people, people say, that it's a it's it's misleading to say that it's about the national anthem or about the flag, and to some extent I understand what they're saying when they say that. But it is about the national anthem and it is about the flag. And as much as those are symbols of a country, that Kaepernick is protesting, right? So when, when he when he protests, he is absolutely protesting the things those those are symbols of. And um, from his perspective, and I would say from mine, he is he's right to do so, or at least within his rights to do so. Um, I also think, uh, that he's brave to do so. I, I think he, he did so at the, at the, at the fairly substantial risk of losing his job, certainly of, of being attacked in the court of public opinion, which he was, he still hasn't been picked up by another team. Has he Nathan? No. And a lot of lesser quarterbacks have been signed in the period that he's been unsigned. So to me, whether you agree with whether you agree that police brutality is a problem in this country, I do. I do agree with that. Um, or, or, or whether you don't think it is, um, I, I think it's difficult to say that he's not acting bravely. He's he's he stood up for what he believed in, or <laughs> took a knee for what he believed in, um, despite despite substantial personal loss. And he put his money where his mouth is and gave a bunch of money to charity, a million dollars, I believe. 
So, yeah, that's what I've read as well. So it, it's it's also difficult for me to see this as primarily some sort of attention-getting stunt. I, I think he had very little to, to gain here, and quite a bit to lose. Um, and, and so I I respect I respect him for that. I I also respect the other players for for doing this in solidarity with him, and and in some cases I'm sure because they also uh, believe that police brutality is a is a problem in this country. I suppose if the NFL wanted to tell them not to do that, that's within their rights. They they are employees of this this uh, company that I think has way too much power in our country to begin with. But if the NFL wanted to do that, that wanted to restrict that, I, I I suppose I would support that, as I would think that the people who continued to kneel would be even braver for doing so uh, in the face of their their employers. Uh, 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 I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Forbidding it. I think there's a huge difference between that and what Mike Pence did yesterday, uh, October 8th, because who knows what he will have done um, between now and then, because Pence did it at really very little personal risk. Uh, his job is secure. Uh, he he was not He was not in danger of losing anything important to him. Uh, and so you you can say that he had the right to protest just as much as the football players do, and I agree with that. But I don't think that element of bravery is present in his actions as it would be in uh, in the football players' actions. Mm-hmm. And just to summarize, I mean, at a game where the city of Indianapolis was retiring Peyton Manning's jersey, unveiling a Peyton Manning statue in front of Lucas Oil Stadium, and generally, you know, thanking Peyton Manning for you know, the millions of dollars of charity work he's done in the city and what he added to the state, uh, Mike Pence decided that he would show up to the game just long enough to leave in the middle of the national anthem because the San Francisco 49ers and some of the Colts were participating in the Kaepernick protest. Which uh, Trump asked him to do uh, by Trump's own admission. And Pence's. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of respect for that. I, I can respect people who protest things I don't believe in, you, you know, provided they do so at some sort of, with some sort of principle or risk involved. This, to me, seemed a lot more about stoking fires of resentment. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And I mean, you know, I, I actually didn't think we'd spend a whole lot of time talking about Mike Pence. You guys know that I don't care much for him. Uh, but I mean, I think the... National anthem protest, more generally, I mean, is a fascinating moment in American life. I mean, for precisely the the reasons Michael just cited, right? Uh, it is in some ways an apocalyptic moment uh, because it is unveiling the things that, for so long now, I mean, we have just basically assumed about the NFL that it was going to be a patriotic, for lack of a better word, that is going to be a pro-military, pro-police kind of event. Uh, And, you know, really, I mean, the closest thing I could think of to this before this uh, would be at the uh, Super Bowl halftime show a few years back when Beyonce did, you know, a sequence from formation at the halftime show. And I mean, even that, which had, you know, very little explicit protest content, uh, really kind of, you know, ignited some fires. This, I think, is really bringing to light the the strong connections like you guys were talking about, like you, Michael, were talking about, and David's about to, I'm sure, uh, between patriotic nationalism and militarism on one hand 
and then, you know, athletic competition on the other. Uh, I, I have David, to say, I mean, Nathan, before you move on, I, I'm, really, yeah. I'm really torn about this because I think the NFL is a deeply unethical organization. I think, I think they, they demand money from local municipalities to build their stupid stadiums, which then do not bring a substantial amount of money to the city. Uh, many of the teams have tax-exempt status. Uh, it is a sport that causes brain damage in a substantial number of its players. I, I, <laughs> it, it's funny that it's 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 funny that our conversation about nationalism and ethics revolves around this 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 company, and that's what the NFL is, corporation that I I think is is unethical on so many levels. That why why is this the conversation we're having instead of uh, oh by the way why are we all supporting this sport that causes brain damage to the people who participate in it? Yeah, that's fair enough, uh, and I I am with you a hundred percent, Michael. As long as we don't then turn and say I'm quitting the NFL and I'm just watching college football. Oh well, yeah, I mean, because in I, some ways, because I've seen a lot of that on social media. College football and high school football are in some sense worse because that's where you're getting the poor kids and telling them this is their way out of poverty. Your way out of poverty is to get brain damage for the sake of some largely white multi-billionaire team owner. Right. And by the way, while you're auditioning to get to that part, uh, we are forbidden to pay you for the entertainment and the ticket sales that you bring. It's a shame, Nathan, because I really like watching football. (laughs) yeah me too although honestly i mean the last few years i haven't watched that much um just not enough time in the week but uh i i do agree that i mean that once you start unveiling things here uh the unveiling just keeps rolling david you haven't really jumped in here i mean is there anything you'd want to add to this not really um i've watched part of one NFL game in my life. It was the Super Bowl. I got bored. <laughs> you know. All right, fair enough. David I, doesn't have a dog at this fight. Yeah. yeah so the, the, this is David's Top Gun episode. You know. Um I mean personally it all feels like a big distraction. Anyway. What would you say it's a distraction from David? I don't know because all of it feels like a big distraction. I mean, I, I think I think Trump stokes it because oh, yeah. you know because it makes you know it 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 it, lo- it locates that that uh, that 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 issue into something that. Um, isn't uh how oh, how do I, I I don't even, I don't even, I don't even have coherent things to say about this but you know I I, I feel like by 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 redirecting um the attention of kind of black lives matter police brutality stuff towards the NFL thing it's 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 actually um, serving in in some weird sense to uh, to to sequester it. It's yeah. as if, it's as if yeah. everything has been steered off in this direction, 
um, where it's actually going to be less effective because, um, you know, uh, do 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 you really want the f the 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 face of of disadvantaged black people in America to be millionaire football players? On the other hand, the, those millionaire football players standing in solidarity. I know, I know, they're standing in solidarity, but we're looking at them. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, isn't, isn't I, I'm not. The, I'm not isn't saying that the alternative reading though that they're using they're using their position of privilege in a socially beneficial way. Oh no, no, I, I, dude, I, 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 I totally get that. I'm saying in in the same way that when um, when a celebrity of any kind makes themselves and the thing that they're doing the the visible figurehead of a particular issue um, it can it can serve to um, in, in some ways blunt the force of the issue um, you know when oh oh gosh when if, if if I'm thinking about ecological stuff and the first thing that that comes to my mind is Leonardo DiCaprio Mm-hmm. Leo's actually failed. The I I don't know if the, I don't know if that's coherent, but there's a way in which we're trying to use celebrity in ways that it doesn't quite work. I don't think um, because the issue then becomes about the celebrity, and the whole point is that it's not celebrities that we're concerned about; it's the people who are opposite of celebrities. The people who don't have the shield of fame to to sit between them and um, you know the the forces at work in the culture, you know, I I, I just I, I think all of this is so built around what celebrities mean in our culture. I feel like living in the Trump presidency is like living in a pinball machine. Well, that that it's you know it, it yeah. I, I don't you're know. Like you're, you're, I, you're, your job is to keep the ball from falling through the flippers, but the yeah. pinball machine is designed to distract you from that. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if I said anything coherent, but it, it, to to me, the, these kinds of things they keep it all in the in the era of of what celebrities are doing about other celebrities, and at that point, um, I feel like the message has gotten lost, even the good ones. Hmm. Okay. Well, David's already doing what I'd like to do here at the end of the episode, so I think we can segue <laughs> into that. Um, you know, I, I did this episode in a weird order. I'll go ahead and grant that. It was neither chronological nor from periphery to center, but just kind of in a out-of-order way so that we can explore just how squirrely this conversation about patriotic song can get. So here at the end, I don't want our to offer our listeners any answers necessarily, uh, but some questions for further thinking. So, uh, David, lead us off and we'll go around the horn. What should a Christian thinker wonder about this constellation of phenomena that we call patriotic song? The things that we should wonder about uh, are... So, so many of them are things that I would... Uh, my, my, my source for these ideas would be Augustine, City of God. Um recognition that uh, 
there is an appropriate place uh, that, that, that humans are, as, as Aristotle says, we are political animals. We are meant to live in community in particular ways, and it is, it is right and it is good for us to find common cause with our neighbors around us in order to help the, the polis we inhabit be the best that it can. But at the same time, as a Christian, I have a, I have a view of, of the world, including the societies in it, that is, um, for lack of better words, both uh, an, an eschatological view. Um, you know, I, I'm, I am waiting for a thing to be revealed. I do not expect it to be revealed at my favorite political party's national convention. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. And, you know, when we are singing our patriotic songs, if those patriotic songs seem to confuse, uh, seem to confuse our nation's capital with the heavenly Jerusalem, then we've got issues. Um, you know, this is also the point at which those from Christian traditions who, um, uh, have have particular principled stances on violence. Um, this is this is where they would need to step in, um, since uh, I, I'm operating in a Christian tradition that finds the just war theory um, compelling. Uh, I I don't have exactly those same issues, but uh, but I do still have an issue, right? Um, I can't simply say, um, you know my military, whatever they do is awesome because that is the exact opposite of what the just war theory is. <laughs> I, I, I can't just say it's my army, so it's good. Um, that, that's not, that's not what that stance holds. Um, yeah. So when, when it comes to the, when it comes to singing these songs, um, I guess being distanced, and how how much does that song reflect on the kind of distance that I think a Christian should have um, that that permits them the space to think eschatologically and ethically about the society they're in? All right, Michael, what do you got? I've got a uh, brief comparison and then a question. The comparison, this is what all of this makes me think of, is about five years ago. Uh, a mosque, I think it was it wasn't even a mosque, it was like a Muslim center, wanted to be put in near uh, Ground Zero. Um, I think it was in an old Burlington coat factory. And the response to this was vicious on the, on the part of conservatives. And, and they said, this is holy ground, this is a sacred space, you can't put your Muslim center in here. Uh, and and that that's disturbing to me. Um, 9-11 is an important thing. It's worth remembering. Um, it's worth remembering the lives that died. It's not a sacred space. Not not if you're a Christian. Um, likewise, the, the flag can't be your ultimate term. Not even what the flag represents. It can't be your ultimate term. So the question I want to ask is where does your loyalty lie? Mm -hmm. And there's all sorts of working out you have to do because the truth is we all have multiple loyalties but figure out what your ultimate loyalty is and then figure out what's most important underneath that and and I, I suspect that if you're making the flag your ultimate loyalty or something close to it you're not thinking Christianly 
And mine, I think, uh, comes from, you know, several years of being, you know, what uh, Trip Fuller, you know, jokingly refers to as Harawazi and Mafia. <laughs> uh, and I think now Jason Michelli over at uh, Crackers and Grape Juice has sort of claimed that mantle, so I don't have to worry about it as much. But I do wonder, uh, once we have gotten past the unearned sense of superiority, which is how I describe so many of my own moral stances of being distant from, you know, the patriotic songs, what are the concrete practices that put in place some kind of alternative? And of course, I mean, this is straight out of Jamie Smith's philosophy, you know, the desiring the kingdom, imagining the kingdom, you are what you love. Uh, to what extent do the liturgies of the church really constitute a counterformation to what we assume when we hear these things? Because like Michael and David were saying, I mean, I hear, you know, God bless the USA, and I immediately just think myself superior to the people who are tearing up at it. Mm. But what I don't have an answer for is, what would it take for me to tear up? Mm -hmm. Is there something for which I would give uh, and defend her still today, I guess? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's what haunts me. Uh, and, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to speak for anyone else necessarily. I know that my sense of superiority is, is just entirely unearned when it comes to those sorts of things. So on that happy note, uh, <laughs> <laughs> geez, I got dark there at the end, didn't I? Uh, David, what are we doing next week? We are looking at the uh, epistle of First Clement, one of the, uh, one of the apostolic fathers of the church and his uh, his letter his letter to Corinthians right we are the the, the Bible has two letters to the Corinthians this one um, actually references those so Clement figured they might need a third one well based on what he read in the first one well yes <laughs> yeah based on first and second Corinthians um, one can infer that they just need more letters yep all right, listeners. Well, until then, you can find us at christianhumanist.org on the web. You can email us at thechristianhumanist at gmail.com. You can, and I ask that you do, go to iTunes and give us a rating. Of course, that is the most widespread vehicle for distributing podcasts, and it will help more people jump in on the fun that we have. Christian Humanist Podcast is part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Kristen Philippic is our press liaison. Ellen Peterson is our embattled editor and intern. And in behalf of Michael Farmer and David Grubbs, this is Nathan Gilmore saying, let your sins be strong, let your faith be stronger. <laughs>